Hey there, hunting family. It's the Arrow Eagle, and uh, we're just bringing you one final episode here in 2023. Um, started the podcast earlier this year, probably mid-summer. We were doing a lot of uh, fishing and outdoor scouting and prepping, summertime stuff. Um, and what I thought I would do here at the end of the year was just bring you a recap. We're uh, 20 plus episodes in through six or seven months and um, really just wanted to go back through 2023, do a year in review. So took a couple sound bites from the different uh, podcast episodes we have from beginning to end and uh, wanted to highlight some of the guests that we had on the, the show and uh, just really hope that you enjoy this episode here. This is our 2023 year in review. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. Hello, hunting family. Welcome to Tracks and Tackle, the podcast where we explore the wonders of the wilderness and the thrill of the hunt, along with the joys of fishing. I'm your host, the Arrow Eagle, and I'm joined by my co-host today, the Hollywood Horse. Today, we want to take an opportunity to introduce ourselves to you and share our passion for the great outdoors. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thanks, Air Eagle. I am so thrilled to be part of this exciting journey with you and our new hunting family and just share our, our love for the for nature and the outdoors and to just share that with those around us. So this new platform gives us a, a wider selection of how we get it out there. Let's start off by sharing some of our backgrounds and kind of what led us to creating this podcast. So how did your love for hunting in the outdoors uh, begin, Air Eagle? Well, you know, you know this, but I was born into a family of outdoorsmen, um, you know, following my dad's footsteps and, and my older brother. Um, they've taught me what I know about the outdoors. And so uh, ever since I was a young boy, I, even before I was old enough to hunt, you know, I was practicing shooting my bow. You know, anytime that they were doing outdoorsy type stuff, I'd want to be involved. I'd want to tag along. And so... I think like every moment's a teaching moment and I, I, what's really important to me is, you know, the next generation, like I love seeing like fathers teach their sons and passing on the hunting legacy. Um, so when I see that, I think it's really important. And I think like nowadays there's less and less kids getting outdoors, even if they don't hunt or fish, they're, you know, they're hauled up in the bedroom playing video games and, and stuff like that. So I think it's really important to pass on knowledge. And so I get excited when there's, you know, young teenagers that are excited about hunting and, um, you know, they have the time to invest in it, but maybe they don't have that, that role model or that father figure in their life to pass on the knowledge like I received and you as well, you know, as we grew up. So um, when you have that younger generation that's interested, we want to do shows like this that will allow us to pass on knowledge, basic understanding. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm by no means am I an expert on hunting and outdoors, but uh, the reality is 
I've been around this all my life. Uh, I do it for fun and the pleasure of, you know, enjoying nature and being outside. So, um, I got started because I was born into it. You know, they, like they say, I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're, we're doing the podcast because we want to create a family, a community of people that are just like us. Blue collar guys, you know, we both work 40 hours a week. Uh, we all have our jobs, but uh, whenever every chance we get, we want to be outdoors. And uh, so that's that's what it's about for me. It's what led me to start recording. I'm thinking about like the first time that I actually started recording uh, a deer with a cell phone, you know, just sitting in my stand. The deer wasn't big enough to shoot. And I started recording it versus, uh, you know, harvesting that animal and uh, something clicked. It's like this is this is really fun. Yeah, we've we've definitely come a long way. Yeah. You know, this summer, I would say I, I fish the, the most and I plan on fishing a lot more. I'm going fishing after this, actually. But um, <laughs> I just kind of got hooked in it. I, one of my friends, um, we just started to fish more and more, uh, realized how much she was into fishing. And it was just easy to, to go out and hang out and just kind of spend time with each other and spend time on that water. And, you know, just having some success with that, you know, just wanting to go to the next hole or the next place. Um I really uh, fell in love with bass fishing this year. Uh, like I said, I only really fished trout, but trout fishing's fun. It's definitely rewarding, but they don't put up much of a fight. You almost sometimes think you're reeling in a minnow versus uh, when you get out to a bass pond, you got something that'll snap your line and bend your rod and, you know, you're feeling like you're reeling in a Moby Dick. But uh, I, I truly uh, have a passion for it now, and I'm I'm getting out uh, probably two to three times a week, definitely looking on the weekends and, you know, Wednesday I sneak away. But I think a, a big portion, uh, I guess this can apply to anything is, you know, having that free time or, or finding that free time. So, you know, right now after, you know, work, I get off early, uh, you know, I'm not looking to go home and do chores. I kind of sneak <laughs> away and worry about those when the sun goes down. But yeah, I'm, I'm just all on board and kind of learning newer things about uh largemouth as uh going along fishing these private ponds yeah no I, I love it and i love to see you know the photos and the video that you capture as you you're out there angling certainly uh one of the things that you had mentioned was you, you had a buddy that you went fishing with and it just became you know more interesting it's it's f fun to watch and understand look back at like how easy it is to get into something when you have a friend or a, a hunting buddy or a fishing buddy to do it with oh yeah it makes it a hundred times easier um just to share those memories uh that's that's what it's about uh at the end of the day it's yeah it's rewarding to catch a fish or you know get that kill and meet in the meet in the freezer but uh to to share that experience you know people know it's it's you're not stretching a story because they were there Consider setting personal harvest goals. Decide ahead of time on a minimum size or age requirement on the bucks that you're going to pursue. Having that clear goal in mind, it's going to help you resist temptation of taking that shot at a young buck when it comes into your stand. Lastly, embrace the experience of watching these young bucks grow, watching them mature over time. Observing their behavior and tracking the progress can be incredibly rewarding, and it's a unique opportunity to connect with the natural world around us. 
In conclusion, letting smaller bucks grow another year is not just a practice in patience. It's an investment in the future of our hunting grounds and the deer herd as a whole. By giving these young bucks a chance to reach their full potential, we are preserving the beauty and the diversity of the wilderness we love. I'm the Arrow Eagle, and today I want to talk about an opposing view to our previous conversation about passing on younger deer that I believe deserves recognition. We all know that hunting is a deeply personal and passionate pursuit. For some of us, it's not just a hobby. It's a way of life. I know that's true for many of us listening to this show. But life can be busy, and we don't always have the luxury of time to pass on smaller bucks and wait for that perfect trophy to come walking in. That's okay. There's no shame in making the most of the opportunities that come our way. When we're out in the field and a small buck presents itself within range, it's a testament to our skills and the ability to seize the moment. We've invested the time, effort, and resources into our passion for hunting, and every animal we harvest is a trophy in the eye of the beholder. Let's remember that hunting is more than just the size of the antlers. It's about the connection with nature. It's the thrill of the chase. It's the camaraderie shared with our fellow hunters. All these things combined is what makes hunting such a passionate sport. Every hunt is a learning experience, and every harvest contributes to our understanding of the land and its wildlife. All right. Hey, everybody. We just wanted to welcome a guest to the show, a friend of the family, and one of uh, my hunting mentors, uh, Lon Menser. How are you doing today? We're doing good. So uh, why don't you just take a little bit of time and introduce yourself? I know that uh, I could sit here and maybe give an introduction of who you are in, uh, in our eyes, but um, why don't you just share a little bit about who you are and your background in hunting and fishing and an overview of your experiences. I just love to be in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, out what the good Lord made. Enjoy it. We see all kind of cool stuff. One of the things we talked about is, you know, getting that first deer um, and how that that's like seems like for every hunter it's a memory that you'll never forget right yeah that's a milestone and you know when you're younger it's not just trying to harvest an animal but it's also trying to like impress your dad and hang out in the woods and make it a long time so tell me you know from your experiences have you ever en encountered any unexpected or humorous situations while hunting or fishing yeah, fishing is probably, you know, watching the mink start fishing before you're allowed to actually fish in Pennsylvania. Okay. You know, it had its limit before starting time started. <laughs> so tell us about how that, how did that work? Well, you go to the creek hours before you're allowed to start at 8 o'clock, you know, to make sure you got a decent spot. And the you know, sun comes up about 5.30 and the middle of april quarter of six seen a mink you know coming down the creek carrying a trout you know dove in under some roots and stuff where we were expecting to start fishing in the morning he disappeared for a few minutes or she did and back out and up the creek she went and come back with another she had her five fish limit before it was actually time for us to get our lines wet 
It's not hardly fair. <laughs> I didn't think so either. But <laughs> they weren't governed by the Fish Commission. <laughs> yeah. What about encounters with animal? I know you mentioned the mountain lion. I know you mentioned, you know, going elk hunting. Um, any any encounters that you've had with wildlife? You know, maybe tell us that story about that time. I know you were in the you were in the tree, and that bear came into your tree stand. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would classify as an encounter, wouldn't uh, it? Well, where our camp is, there was a bunch of bear research that went on. So several of the bear had a lot of ear tag stuff on them from the scientists and stuff researching and i was hunting with a guy and we had walkie talkies in case one of us got in trouble because this was pre-cell phone era right and i was in my stand and it just started breaking daylight just a little bit you can start making out shapes and stuff and i seen there was a bear coming up the hollow past my stand well the bear got close to my stand and my buddy hollered on the walkie talkie wanting to know where the keys of the truck were well, the bear that had three tags in the ears really wasn't impressed with the human voice from getting messed with, I guess, all the time. And he came over, and or she did, and stomped, slammed her front paws on the tree that I was in in my climbing stand, wolfing and popping her teeth. That went on for about 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, and I, during that time, I got a, another airway conversation about wanting to know where the keys of the truck were so i sw slowly as i could you know turned the walkie-talkie off <laughs> you know because i thought the bear was about done till it heard that human voice again and you know five or ten minutes later it finally decided that you know it wasn't coming up the tree but i can tell you i done had my bow pulled off the tree in case it started climbing up it mm-hmm well, and it finally walked off, and every 15 to 20 yards, you, you know, turned around, popped its teeth, and wolfed. And I imagine that could leave, like, quite an impression on you, <laughs> sitting in the tree, having yeah. that type of an experience. There's one I'll never forget. All right, so today we have a, a guest on the show, um, Jonathan Knopp friend of mine who actually just we, we just were acquainted not too long ago through a mutual friend yeah and that's the way it works right when you <laughs> you run into one another we're at, we're actually we have a mutual friend who um has had a their child was having their baby's birthday party and uh you know the guys are sitting around the table and we're just <laughs> shooting the breeze we start striking up this conversation about hunting and the outdoors and we're like yeah all right, man, we're brothers now, right? <laughs> and uh, I think I've met you before on a couple of occasions, but we never had the chance to actually connect. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I was talking to Jonathan about, uh, you know, his experiences, and he's got quite the resume. So um, just like most of you guys out there listening to this podcast, he started hunting from a very young age, so it was born into his blood. Um, and, you know, when you get the itch as a teenager, probably from about 16 to 21, he started to dedicate himself to waterfowl and uh, his pursuit of that, that arena in the hunting world. And, um, you know, so as a young man, professionally guided for several years, supported the startup of a couple of different guide services, uh, competitive goose and duck caller, securing multiple top five finishes at state championships 
and uh, competing and calling competitions across the West Coast. Um, and some of your top finishes were first in the novice duck category, second in both state duck uh, and uh, state goose calling, and that was Washington State. Yep. And uh, so you've additionally you've served as a consultant for several other guide services and very well respected in the hunting community. Uh, and I'm uh, really pleased to just be able to call him a friend more than an acquaintance. We're, we're building that relationship. We had invited him to come onto the podcast. So I just want to welcome uh, Jonathan to the, to the podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and great just to spend more time getting to know you as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. When you when you connect with people um, that have like sort of the same passion, it's really easy to just carry on conversations and stuff. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. I had just gotten some dates from Decoy, so I was excited to go see their table and meet some of these other call companies, you know, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So my first time going down there, me and, and two of my friends uh, – and, uh, and my, but my buddy would just sit and listen to these calling competitions that I didn't know at the time were going to be going the whole weekend long, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I think all three days there was calling competitions. And so, um, at least two of them and at least two of the days. And so here I was going through my, my buddy was just getting transfixed. So then the day came and he's like, Hey, are we going to pay the money to, you know, do this? Are we going to, you know, not? And I, we went back and forth and I was like, yeah, you know, let's do it. And, and so, uh, we went up there and like looking back now, first time ever, I mean, we probably looked like, you know, silly, you know, to, sure, to yeah. people who knew what they were doing, you right? Foolish, but you know, yeah. like you said it earlier, you got, we all start somewhere. We do. We do. And I still have the video on my phone, but, uh, of, of <laughs> that, because my, uh, our third friend was recorded for us. But so we went up there though, and we did the routine, the best that we could do. And, and, uh, you know, my, my buddy was a better duck. I would never have made it in a million years back then, but my my buddy was a better duck caller than I was back then, mm -hmm. for sure. And he, I think, held, you know, he held it together for us. So, um, anyways, it was just fun. So, so we get off the stage, and this guy named Kyle Jones says, hey, good job, guys. And uh, he's, so we have what's called, like, the... Um, uh, the pit or like the, or the, the place that, that you, uh, that you go and you wait. So the car sure, yeah, okay. go back and forth from. So, so he greets us right as we're coming back off the stage. The judges behind a, behind a curtain, uh, curtained area where they can't see us. And, um, they can only, only judge based on what they hear. And he comes back and says, good job. And there was something inside of me that was like, oh my goodness, like this is that, like that, that is so cool to get Kyle Jones to say we did a good job. And I just know, to be recognized, to be recognized. And I didn't know who he was at the time, but I knew that the other people are Around, and he was uh, a few years older than me, but the people around him uh, listened to him yeah. when he spoke and respected him a lot. And uh, and so he said that to me, and I mean that was the light switch that it was like, okay, this is I, I just wanted I just wanted to do this now, you know. And and since then he's he, I mean he's one of the best duck and goose callers to have ever lived. I mean at this point he's won two, two world goose calling championships, um, which is very very hard to do. He's consistently been in the you know, top 50 or so, top 25, 50 in, in the world for duck calling. He, so, and he's just a phenomenal guy, One, a wonderful guy. I mean, humble, and anybody could message him anytime pretty much and, and ask him for advice and help, and, and, man, he's there for you. That's the thing about, like, yeah. uh, you know, woodsmen, outdoorsmen, yeah, and, and hunters and huntresses, and, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, the people that that were raised in this type of uh, environment, yeah. there's a respect, a camaraderie, you know, um, amongst us yeah. with one another. Like, we didn't know each other, 
yeah. you know, and we and we met each other at a at a child's birthday party and just yep. struck it off because there's a there's a mutual appreciation yeah for God's creation yeah you know the the, the outdoors yeah. and um so yeah that no that's that's awesome and it's amazing this is why I bring that up yeah how the affirmation of somebody yes that is uh. You know whether they're a mentor or they're a little bit more seasoned or a veteran yeah. uh, outdoorsman or outdoors woman, um, just the affirmation and the recognition yep. that you get from somebody like that, what that does for somebody that's new to the business. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, and there's a there's a part of it too where you know anyone who's ever accomplished something you know of significance or 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 they didn't do it by themselves, you right. know, they, and especially in the hunting outdoor community. I mean, yeah, you know, so there's a sense I love about the hunting community where the, the sense of, I, I, I have what I have because of what other people poured into me, what they deposited, deposited. That's right. Yep. Deposit. So, um, and I love that because that, that became a culture, you know, and later on, and I'll get there in a moment, but later on when I came under the mentorship of, of, um, uh, probably one of the top, 20, you know, best duck callers, you know, I, I think ever, you know, and, and now consistently top 10, you know, in the, in the world, uh, Robert Strong, he, um, that was something he, he just ingrained in me, um, was, was, uh, I'm, I'm doing this to port, to give back to the community that gave me, you know, what I have, you know, and, and so good. it just, you keep this reciprocal thing going and, and stuff. So, not be addicted. Now, 40 years ago, I was probably addicted to it. Yeah, like me today. Uh, <laughs> That's all I think about. Well, yeah, back when, back when I was your age, when hunting season was in, that's where I was at. I was hunting. Mm -hmm. I mean. That's that's an interesting story. So you started hunting probably doing small game yeah, small game. I didn't do no deer hunting until I was twelve. Okay. On that, so you were out playing the dog, I running out, rabbits, and I was out, pheasants or I whatever. Was out, to me, I was hunting. I was out doing yep. this and doing that. I was in the field and seeing rabbits and pheasants being shot and being involved in it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. how you get the itch, right? For mm -hmm. for younger people. Yeah, we were talking mm -hmm. uh, on a show a couple of weeks ago about. Getting people interested and mm. in starting with small game mm. is probably mm. a, a wise yeah. way to do it because there's activity. You don't yeah. have to sit still, mm. but you're you're involving them. What other family traditions related to hunting in the outdoors have you passed on to us, or mm. has been passed on to you that you've passed on to the next generation, to like the mm. grandkids and things? Yeah. I think if you want success in hunting, and I'm not saying success is killing every year, but you got to spend time in the woods, not only during the season, but before season. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that just two weeks before the season starts because then you're going to spook the deer and they'll know something's going on. And a lot but, of guys do that and yeah. wonder why they don't see any yeah. deer. But you need to start in July mm -hmm. to go out and look for signs. and. Yeah, the next day the deer comes through where you were walking, they're going to be on alert. So they are. But eventually that smell will drift away and they'll get back to their normal habits. And on. I mean, I am more for looking for signs of doe this time of year mm -hmm. before season, their activities, than what I am 
where the big bucks are. Because the bucks are like boys in high school. They're all over the place. But during what the deer calls the rut season, they're all the same. They're all chasing the girls. And they're going to be where the girls are at. I can set at that meat pole and wait for him to come to me. Yeah, we're happy to do it for you too, man. I'm telling you. I'd really love to see you, you know, harvest a, a deer this year. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'd be ecstatic to drag that deer in, gut it, quarter it, whatever we got to do to take care of it. I'd like, to, I'd like to do that too. But as I look back across my life, I've shot more than my share of deer. I mean, I heard a statistic some time ago that the average hunter only shoots three deer in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well... There's a lot of people that try to hunt that they're like yeah. you said at the beginning, they're I'm, going out to find. I, I apologize for you guys that done didn't know deer that I shot your share of. But <laughs> I could tell once it got close enough that it was small. It wasn't a deer. And so uh, I get my flashlight and I, and I hit the light on this thing. Here it's a skunk. Right at the bottom of my ladder, and I'm Surprise. like, "Oh no, I'm I'm gonna give this guy plenty of time to clear out." Right? Yeah. So I mean, so you're you're not seeing a lot of deer, but uh, have you been getting out? Have you been having some opportunities? Oh, yeah. or are you like, like said, me, uh, just uh, getting out on the weekends? Been great out this year. Probably more than ever, I've been out. But yeah, I had opportunities. Like, yeah, uh, what was it? it was Friday, yeah. Not too long ago, but went out. It's all uh, leaves. They're freaking forest floors flooded with them this this time of the year. So getting out to my stand, like there's no getting out there quietly. Like you're trying to tiptoe, but you know it sounds like you're walking through a bag of McDonald's wrappers to get there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I heard some deer jump up, and I used to as a kid, I'd just be like, like ah crap, like hunt's ruined, busted hunt, right? But yeah. you know, I went and found my stand and. 10, 15 minutes later, a silhouette of a figure is walking my way, and it was still pretty early, and I don't think it was that big. I don't know. It was a little dark, but I'd used, uh, used some judgment, and I just watched that thing, and it just, it hung out for a half hour or so, but it was, it was good to see it, you know, got the, my heart was pumping, like, I'm nervous, like, you know, I'm, I'm fired up, all the emotions are there at once, and then, uh, I had to go into work that day, I was just getting out in the morning, and then closer to 8, 8.15, I'm thinking about my breakfast sandwich, you know, going in early to get dressed and just mentally prepare for the day. And then I'd see this uh, big deer coming through, and it looked like a four-point, about 40, 50 yards. It's having to stare down with me, and, like, you know, there I'm there, I'm like, shivering, and I, I just get all fired up if it's a deer. You know, it, it could be a fawn with spots, and I would get all excited. You know, I wouldn't ever think of pulling the trigger, but, you know, it's what you're looking for, and when it finally shows up after a long wait, it's rewarding just to, to have that feeling. So then, uh, I don't know, he got suspicious or something. I was waiting for him to see if he came a little closer and see if he had another kind or not. But it was a big, mature deer, and it, it would have uh, tasted great. So that was that was a Friday, but, yeah, getting I'm having, getting out there, getting opportunities, but it's all about being at the right place, the right time, the right situation, and, yeah. Know, being prepared when the moment comes. Let, let me ask you something. <clears throat> I was sitting here thinking as you were sharing your story, and we were talking about like those long all-day hunts. And I got a text from a buddy 
just last night asking me, he's not a hunter. He's like, how do you sit all day long? You know, that would be really hard for him. He says his back couldn't take it. Right. You know, but do you got any like thoughts on that or uh, keys to success for hunters? Because I know there there are times where you go out and you, you sit for an hour or two. And you can maybe get an early morning hunt in before you go to the work. But then there are other days where you've got all day. Right. And you and we, we do that. We try to put the time in. So what's what's the difference? What's that like from your – let me get inside of the head of the Hollywood horse here for a minute in the way that you think. Uh, what's the key to an all-day an all day sit? Right. So I could probably could relate with your buddy here a bit in the sense of all-day sits, like, I really haven't been doing too many of them. I'm I'm getting more fired up and more motivated late that it's becoming a lot more frequent. So, you know, you just have to recognize your movement patterns. Your prime hunting, it's going to be at sunrise and sunset. And then between there, around lunchtime, you're almost going to have some dead zone. Now, when rut comes here in a few weeks, throw all that out the kitchen window. Toss it, man. Yeah, everything changes. You don't know what's going to go on. But, you know, be mentally alert you know, from six to, to 10 or so. And if you're going to do an all day sit, you know, that's the time where like for me, like I kill some time on my phone. I kind of, I don't know. I just relax, but yeah, I'm, I, I won't lie. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> how many times, how many times, and you're not alone. I yeah. think that a lot of people now, you know, we have connected, we have those devices, but how many times have you been like caught off guard? You're on your phone. And that big deer walks through and, you know, sometimes we can, you know, respond, we can get right. the phone down and, and still have an opportunity. And other times we're just busted. I would say, I don't think I missed an opportunity yet, but I kind of told you before, like if you see a deer 200 yards out and it's coming your way versus, you know, Oh crap, there he is at, you know, 50, 40 yards. Jumps out from behind a bush somewhere and he's right. already on top of you. Right. Like just the, the level of excitement and the, you know, the shakes I get, the buck fever. Like, I don't know, man. Sometimes I, I you know, I, I, ideally, man, I would love to see it from far come in because you're, you're better prepared and better set up. But, uh, like, here's your moment. Act now. Like, that's, that's who I am. I'm an impulsive person. That was the same day that the Hollywood horse had those doe come through and there's no buck behind them. And then shortly thereafter, this rack monster that we've been watching all summer long steps out. I don't think he was the hammer, but he was definitely one of the trace amigos that we've been watching run the hill. Definitely one of the big three. And, um, that, that won't you share play by play on that? What that happened? Because, Later in the afternoon, I actually walked out to, to check with you, having no idea about this doe that was bedded down, keeping lawn in his T-shirt all morning long. And I was, for, for the record, I was a ninja because I walked right past that doe and she never woke up, nor I didn't know she was there. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably 9.30 or so, my little golly that I'm covering. I see uh, four does coming through. There's three nice freezer queens, and then there's a yearling tagging along with them. So, you know, I'm getting all excited. They look like they're walking my way, but they're not quite coming up the hill, not quite range, so they're starting to work their way away from me. I have a front call, so I gave a little bit, a little hit of that, and they did not like that. So one of them wheezed right away, and then they bolted out of there. 
ran away, you know, 100 yards or so before I started saw him walk. So I was like, all right, well, crap. Excitement's over. And then I'm basically on top of the ridge. So on the other side of the ridge of state, I hear, like, some brush crackling. I think I was, like, texting you, like, crap, I just did this, didn't work. So I, like, I put my phone away, and then here comes this bruiser coming right to me, probably 25, 30 yards. Um, I got tack cam footage of it, but aimed for his shoulder. I shot the bows loud as heck. <laughs> but uh, you can see through the footage that I, I hit him. He flinched and curled down. So it looks like I whacked a shoulder. The arrow got no penetration. Um, arrow <laughs> broke off right away. Um, no blood. But so shot, like, I'm calling everybody. I'm all excited. I I was freaking excited. All the emotions are coming through me. I think Ronnie wanted to come right over then and track it. I'm like, let's give it a while. I called my buddy, you know, went in doubt back out. So I'm thinking we could just give this deer a little bit longer to make sure since he's a, he's a dandy. So I think we ended up waiting about two hours. I told you, I think I texted you like two o'clock, like, I'll be ready. And it was like 145 when you showed up at my stand. Uh, yeah, well... You know, you had texted me. I don't. I don't know the order that it had happened, but you. We were texting back and forth, and it was cold that morning. So I got out of my tree stand from where I was hunting, and I went over on the other side of the ridge where the wind wasn't blowing, and I was sort of uh, sunbathing on the side of the mountain where the sun was hitting in the morning. And the next thing you know, we, you know, we were texting back and forth, and um, my phone's vibrating. I thought you butt dialed me. And uh, you said you had uh, you got a shot on a big one, and I was pumped, man. I mean, because it was like our our first real day of hunting, and I, I was juiced, man. I was just excited for you. Yeah. So then you rolled around the ridge. We looked, and it was you know disappointing. It is what it is, but it's good to know that that buck's going to make it to the next year. Yeah, I mean the the footage shows like you you hit him right in the shoulder. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy because there's, there's a tuft of hair, but no blood at all. And, um, yeah, that he's gonna, he's definitely gonna live. All I'm thinking is get the gun. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get the gun. Gun would have done a different trick on him, but, uh, those old several year old deer, they're tough, man. Yeah. Every, every single time I've gone out, I've been seeing deer. You know, and uh, rifle season came around and was able to take a few doe and rifle season. And so now, you know, I'm, I tell some of the details of some of these stories really to just bring it full circle. You know, we want to talk about lessons learned and, and different types of things on the back end of the season now that hunting season's over. Um, in Pennsylvania, we have a break from the end of rifle through Christmas and then on, uh, the day after Christmas, archery season comes back in. I technically, I, I do have three more doe tags that I can fill, um, you know, in, in one of the counties here. Uh, but I don't know if I'm going to be going out or not. I, I've, I've got plenty of deer meat in the, in the freezer. Uh, my wife says I've been hunting an awful lot. And uh, we'll see. I, I don't like that late season hunting because it's just too cold for me. But, um, you know, never say never. So, um, started the podcast literally over the summertime, talking fishing, talking scouting. We got into hunting season. 
we've been telling you about these deer stories and just sort of using this as a video log to, to capture our memories. And um, so now we're at the point where hunting season's over and I've got to figure out what type of content to continue to put up onto this channel. Uh, as always, we appreciate every single one of you that do listen, all like six or seven of you out there that uh, follow us and um, follow us on social media if you guys want content or if you want to hear certain certain uh, topics. You know, we love to know what to talk about. We're going to develop this thing in 2024 and try to do a good seat, do a good job at production and uh, make a quality product that uh, that's worth listening to. So uh, until then. I'll just say, you know, keep your arrows straight, keep your passion for the outdoors alive, um, appreciate all you guys, love you, you are our hunting family, and everything that we do, uh, we want to we wanna share with you guys, uh, this is our passion, uh, nature is our playground, and uh, just because it's winter time doesn't mean that we aren't going to be outdoors doing our thing. So, from the Mentor Outdoors team, this is the Arrow Eagle, I'm signing off, we'll check in with you soon. Later.